Welcome to the latest episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we are talking with Sarah and Gift about Vue.js, which I'm really excited about because I've only played a bit around with Vue.js, so I am not an expert by any means. Sarah and Gift, can you give us brief introductions of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? All right, thanks. Um, I'm Gift Iguinu. I am a software engineer at Andela, and my happy hour beverage is obviously Irish cream. Right <laughs> uh, my name is Sarah Drasner. I work at Netlify as, as the head of developer experience. I also work for CSS Tricks and I'm a Vue core team member. And my drink of choice is scotch, just like it was last time. Yeah, it, you have been on episodes a long time ago or, the, mm-hmm. or one of our early episodes. I, I believe it was episode nine. So it has been, we're on like episode 90 right now. So <laughs> it has been a while. So I'm happy to have you back. Come back at 900. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. That, that is going to be, oh man, that's, that's holding us to be like a high bar that we have to now hit 900 episodes. All right. Thanks, Sarah. All right. 900. <laughs> You all heard it. We are hitting that and Sarah's coming. Even if she's not planning to be in San Francisco, we'll fly her out. That's, oh, yeah. This is okay. on recording. All right. Well, let's also give introductions of today's panelists. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Stacy London. I'm a senior front end engineer at Atlassian. Hi, I'm Augustus. I'm a software engineer at Twitch. Jem Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we love to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And obviously today, what did we decide today's keyword is? React. <laughs> React, right? We're, we're talking about Vue. Why not React? All right. So as we're getting started, I'm really curious, and I'm sure other listeners are, is like if they're not very familiar with Vue.js, how would you describe Vue.js? Okay, so um, personally, I would describe Vue.js as a front-end framework that is progressively used for building mobile and web experiences. That was a very good description of it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would describe uh, Vue as well as uh, a way to create um, dynamic UIs. Um, When I I think about the progressive piece of that, that's also um, progressively adopted. So uh, one nice thing about Vue is you can definitely, you don't have to use it uh, via CLI, although a lot of people do uh, to build applications, but you can also use it via a script tag and kind of incrementally adopt it. So that's you know, a really nice thing about it. Um, but yeah, Vue, I think we mentioned this before we started recording, but Vue it tends to be a kind of mixture of a lot of different excellent things from other frameworks. It is uh, the Vue layer of, if you're familiar with MVC technologies, it's a Vue layer only just like React. Oh, oh cheers. <laughs> Great keyword. I was waiting for that. <laughs> and when you mean like you can start using it, meaning like you don't have to be fully bought into using Vue. It's like if you were using Backbone or something, you could <laughs> you could slowly adopt adding Vue. That's right. That's really cool. What is MVC for the the people yeah. new to uh, web development? It used to be a popular interview question, but we don't ask it anymore. I think because it's really easy to Google too. <laughs> it's true. I could help with that. MVC is the model view and controller layer. And basically with Vue, we work with Vue layer as compared to other frameworks. Like what? (laughs) 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 So that's basically my understanding of 
MVC, the model the view and controller. Yeah, view doesn't, you're kind of dropping the controller essentially. All right, we all kind of now have an understanding of what this beautiful framework is. What are the benefits of Vue.js? For me, one thing that I feel like it's benefits of Vue.js is the fact that it's very flexible to work with. Like Sarah earlier mentioned, you can easily um, adopt it. So for instance, when you're building an app and you're just new to Vue.js, you necessarily don't need to go overboard and start off with the Vue CLI. You can just start off by importing it using just the script tag and then gradually or progressively use it in your application. So that's one thing that I really like about Vue.js. It's really flexible. Yeah. And in terms of the flexibility, one of my favorite things about Vue is that it's reactive. And so a lot of times when you're working with other frameworks... Like what, Sarah? (laughs) I love the pause. (laughs) You might have to add something like MobX or RxJS in order to make something reactive. Whereas with Vue, it actually has that reactivity system under the hood. doesn't mean that you can't still pair it with something like RxJS. Because of this, you can respond to changes really easily. Um, Reactive premises make it super nice to have some hooks with which to observe uh, changes in app in an application, which is usually what we're doing with JavaScript frameworks to begin with. So that piece of it is really beautiful, especially because we have these like watchers built in, so you can easily look at what's changing on a certain data property. Computed properties are one of my absolute favorite things about Vue, and that like nobody seems to know about outside of Vue. Like everyone in Vue loves it, and nobody really pays attention to it if they haven't worked with it before. But basically, with computed properties, you have these cache values that can change and only update based on their dependencies. So they're super performant. So in other words, if you are working with something like Downshift in React, Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. which is a library by Kent C. Dodds, uh, which is, allows you to kind of filter things based on inputs. In Vue, you don't need to import an entire library like that. You can literally write a filter function on, you know, with maybe like a regex for capitalization and with one line of code, create a computed property that's basically another view onto your data. So you're taking the original data that's stored in state, you know, that that's you're holding in basically your state and then you're allowing yourself to see one other view of that data. So it's super flexible and performant. And just like when you work with it, you're like, oh my God, am I filtering this entire table? And it's just updating, you know, on the drop of a hat. So there's tons of things that you can do with computed properties that are just really allow you to build interfaces really quickly. And I love them. When I think to the flexibility thing that got me, and I think you just tweeted this maybe even today or yesterday, (laughs) was the fact that you can use JSX, which is another aspect that another framework might use that you might be very familiar with. And Which framework, Ryan? Tell us. I've, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, the fact that, so even if you were using something like React, cheers, cheers. cheers. is that you, if you're familiar with JSX, you can actually be leveraging JSX in Vue as well. But you don't actually have to use JSX either. Yeah, we uh, we tend to use templates, which are um, really extremely declarative because they offer some very nice transformations and abstractions. So in other words, instead of rewriting the same dot map again and again, we have a V4, which some people would say like, oh, well, then you're not learning JavaScript. And 
I would argue like at my level of JavaScript, I'm, I don't need more practice in writing <laughs> map functions. Like, just just or make loops. that easier for me. <laughs> like it's totally fine for me to use a uh, V4. Uh, so I, I would kind of argue the other way around that once you've written it, like a, enough JavaScript in your life, those types of like two-way bindings and that you get with vModel, some of the other kind of pieces that you get, you're like, oh, I don't have to like go in and trim all the white space. I can use this modifier that trims all the white space just as I'm adding this to my application. So uh, those pieces are really good. Evan says this really great thing in his front-end master's course about Vue that I've seen him talk about in person, but I'm citing that because if in case you want to watch it too, where he says like, you know, the front end world is kind of divided in two camps about templates versus JSX. And he's like, really, they're the same. <laughs> um, uh, it's very, very, you know, it's a very small amount of difference for so many people to be so upset about. And he's explains that Vue supports both because it understands that both are valuable at different times. Um, the dynamicism of being able to express things in pure JavaScript when you need to is valuable. So that's why we support JSX. But a lot of times what you need to get done, we've provided abstractions for in templates. Um, and those things can also be nice if you're, you know, if you have existing markup that you're just mod, you know, modifying a little bit, um, changing them to a couple of different directives is a very, very small amount of overhead if you're migrating an existing code base. And another thing that allow, um, uh, templates allows us to do is also to um, do some rendering pre-optimizations. So there's some things that can be a little bit more performant because with, when you're working with templates, you can make some assumptions about the markup, right? When you're working with JSX, there's a lot of evaluation and errors that can be introduced because of the dynamicism, which is great, but, you know, that also means that there's a lot of overhead. So if you're working with a constrained bit of what is able and what you're allowed to do with templates that allows you a little bit more of this ability to kind of evaluate this kind of pre-compile time evaluation and uh, optimization, which allows it to be pretty performant. That's very well explained. I was like just thinking about the flexibility, but I'm like, you took it one level <laughs> further. I love it. Another thing that I don't think either of you mentioned, but always came top of mind were evaluating frameworks is interesting is the size of the library and and that is actually one where view really destroys other frameworks is it is only like was like 18 20 kilobytes something like that yeah it's about yeah. to go down by a that's lot that's even better too uh it's the next version of you so view three that's coming out next year is is actually faster than Svelte in the latest benchmarks. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> that's crazy. Which is it's something you really have to consider when you're evaluating a framework is like that's overhead. Even just saying hello world with the framework, you are now adding additional weight. And so 20 kilobytes is pretty light. But some of the other frameworks are pushing higher. I heard you mention the D word, uh, directives, which of course made me think of Angular 1. And I've heard a lot of comparisons between Vue and Angular. Could you talk a little bit more about that? You don't like directives? Oh, man. It gives me <laughs> nightmares. Yeah, I, I think that the um, people who bring that up tend to have only glanced at the first page of the documentation, and that's about it. I mean, I, I hate to say it that way, but that's really where the comparison begins and ends. Um, there's so much more depth 
in view to explore than that. And the comparisons really end there also. Um, so yeah, there are, we definitely pulled uh, directives from Angular, just like we pulled view layer from React. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Knew that was coming. I would say that view kind of, if if not saying draw, draws inspiration, we just gank <laughs> things yes. from other I frameworks. <laughs> I mean, we definitely make them our own, but I mean, it's it's for sure. Like people are people use it and they go, wait, this is just Knockout, or this is just Angular, or this is just React, or you know, I think that they're all right. <laughs> um, it's it's a lot of those kind. The of way things. I look at it is, they took the best of all the things yeah. and made it really really great. I was going to say she said React, but nobody. Oh, but oh, no. oh, they're on it. All right. Thank you for keeping us honest. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get to this at all, but um, we talked about, is it computed properties? Is that what you said? Computed, yeah. That's one thing that's quite curious to me is the sort of managing state and, and the data layer and how that might be different. And like, let's say you do have like a super complex app that needs a lot of data management, state state management. What does that look like? So from my own perspective, there is like a library for managing states in React and it's called Vuex. So if you're trying to do that, you could adopt the Vuex library for managing states. And it's really, it's like a very impressive library, right? It handles everything for you. And yeah, pretty much, that's pretty much it. It's like an add-on you like install yeah, it kind of separate. Yeah. It's basically like our version of Redux, except um, Redux is much more, in some ways it's a lot more complicated. So like what, having used both, basically Vuex took out some of the features from Redux that you really want to keep and you want to be working with. I would say we didn't take it as far as we could have and we're going to change that because we still, you know, have our, you know, state and then getters and then um, mutations and then actions. But we're also already realizing that like in terms of making things, if there's like beautiful or simplicity is when you have nothing left to take away, actions and mutations are a little bit like we can actually get that accomplished in one. So we're probably gonna uh, remove mutations in the next version so that you can, you don't have to use an action to commit a mutation anymore. Um, but basically it does the same thing, right? Um, so there's that method of state management. We also are moving over to this composition API, which I think people will start to use in a similar way. So composition API draws very heavily from hooks. And so it's a, a similar kind of thing that you're seeing where like people are now using hooks to manage that kind of state as well. So I'm, I'm curious too, I see this as maybe a positive and a negative is, and I, I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts on this, Vue is not backed by a company. And so that could be a big positive. In, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of benefits to that is that it's a very community-driven framework. And so there's not this opinion of a company that's now created it for their use case, which is completely valid. But then they're solving their problems and saying like, yeah, you can use this, but we've solved it for us. And that's the direction of this. And so I think there is some positives, but maybe some negatives to it. So I'm curious everyone's thoughts on that. So 
I, I also think it's a positive, to be honest. I think that um, it's we get tons of financial backing from different groups, and there's other ways, not even just through Patreon and Open Collective, which we use, and GitHub sponsors, but there's other ways that we um, make money and make sure that the project is sustainable. But having the decisions be the core team's decision because we all believe that that's the direction for the for view is really helpful. What Jem is referring to is okay. Several years ago, husband works for a digital or he doesn't anymore. He works for Packet now, but he used to be VPN of DigitalOcean, and he <laughs> he was interviewing this person for this front like lead front end role, and we were having lunch, and he's like so. Is it normal for front ends to say that, like, if I come in, you have to use a framework I invented or <laughs> else I'm not joining? I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. Um, I'll remember that. I'm not saying that anymore. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know, I interviewed this guy. He seemed great, but like, and like became highly recommended. But I don't know. He was like, oh, I really want to work on my framework. And like the only way I'd work here is if everybody switched to my framework and I got to work on it part time and this whole thing. And I was like, no, honey, you just should not hire this person. That sounds totally There's crazy. so many red flags there. No. <laughs> and then, um, then years later... Evan was telling me about how he interviewed at DigitalOcean. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's too funny. And so, and so who is Evan? Uh, Evan? Evan is Evan Yu who created Vue.js. And at that point, that was the point where he stopped working at a company and started just working full-time on Vue. And actually, we what we talked about was had he not... It wasn't that, that he got rejected because he also put you know he he said no as well i think it was a mutual like this isn't a good fit um but had that not happened and he gone to DigitalOcean, i don't know that view would have taken off the way that it did <laughs> so and now i'm i mean at the time i was not using view or a view developer at all so it, it's also changed the, the that decision has changed the trajectory of my life as well that's a great story yeah. i love it <laughs> Same. i i don't think it's developers we realize how much corporations have taken over development i like we take it as a good thing which it is microsoft has done a ton developer space vs code is fantastic to work with like and all the other tooling react angular all the frameworks that came out fantastic cheers, cheers. <laughs> browsers are so much better once they started listening to people who built stuff for browsers rather than like pms who are just like we need this feature so like that's a good thing but it's also dangerous there's not that many companies that run most of what we consider ecosystem, like GitHub's owned by a corporation, Chrome, the primary browser everybody uses, owned by a corporation. Like, there's not many independent things left. Vue is one of the few big ones left that's not owned by anybody, which is good. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely some benefits to that in that sense, but there could be some. There's some. Ne- there, there is some negatives too, because like now it is like even what Sarah addressed is that you have to try and figure out how to pay people to work on this because like there's a lot of time and effort that goes into this. They're giving up a lot to work on it. Sarah gives up her time and effort to do this trade-offs that you're probably having to make to do that. And, and so that, yeah, something like Facebook supporting this framework that you guys keep talking about, you know, they, they, (laughs) they have that company. That's part of someone's job to do that versus it's a little bit different in that way. And so that company's now back that that much stronger. But I think back to my point of being the 
the benefit of not is that that company controls the framework too. Yeah. And I, I mean, in terms of like view core team, one thing, one, you know, kind of downside of it not being backed by a company is like, it's kind of a downside and a benefit. The benefit is that you have these passionate individuals and that's how we become core team members, right? Like you actually kind of prove that you're do a ton of work and then you become a core team member. It doesn't go the op- opposite way where they just like invite you or something <laughs> like that. But the, you know, the downside is that we aren't working full time the way that, you know, the react team. Is, ugh. Yes. <laughs> like Evan is working full time on it. I think Posva and Guillaume are working like half time funded kind of, uh, that kind of work on it. But what you don't have is this kind of semblance of like you like joined the company for that purpose. That's what you do. And then you leave, but the there's, it flips back to the negative side of that where like you lose someone like Sophie because she leaves Facebook and not necessarily wanting to leave react. So like there's, Positives and ah, oh, cheers. Oh, I'm, sorry. Said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Differently though. I, so. have, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to pick up my cup. It was. <laughs> I like that example though because a yeah, point. it's a yeah. project that she's now left, not necessarily wanting to leave that project, just leaving the company. Versus that's that's such a benefit. I love that because yeah, if you're part of this framework, you're trying to help shift and drive. You don't. You can control that. Versus like companies like no, like you're a part of this company and you're working on this. Yeah, it's more like a lot of things. I, I I always we always talk about Google as like one company, but it's like many 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 different organizations within one. So it's really it's hard two companies. To, it's Alphabet and Google, isn't it? I mean, yeah, technically. <laughs> and then there's like subdivisions within Google yeah, and all yeah. that. But when companies release frameworks and products and things like that, they're essentially saying like, here's how we code and here's how you should code, which is fine. Like they have many, many smart people working on like how to be better at coding. The only issue I would take with that is it's telling you how to do something, which may not be the right way, but people are going to say it because it's backed by some big company, which is why things like Vue are really important is like something built by developers for developers. There's no like, here's, here's the coding guide on how you should do it. It's just... We talk to a lot of people, and here's how you code. First, something that's going to come out of Facebook or Google or, or Netflix or Microsoft, it's going to be reflective of their engineering culture, which may not be the right way for everybody, but people are going to take that as gospel, as like, this is how you should do things, and that's not how it should be. Well, and I think another interesting point is, like, uh, that framework being built by Facebook, <laughs> being built for their, for their use cases, um, I remember a lot of people when it first came out would say like, oh, it's really hard. It's really complicated. It uses a lot of words that are very like computer science-y. And a lot of people in the web community were trying to do maybe more simple things. And that felt like a barrier to even using it. And so other frameworks that come out where, you know, maybe it is easier to use and it's more friendly and welcoming or in terms of its APIs or whatever, it that kind of stuff, you know, matters. And even documentation, difference. like mm-hmm. even straight up documentation can make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, I was going to add something when Jim was talking. So something that I really like about Vue is the fact that it's community driven, right? And there is also something that I recently found out about. It's called the RFC, um, request for comments. So for instance, if they're thinking of, if the court team are thinking of adding something new, it's not just their decision, it's more like the community's 
um, decision, right, Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, this this gets into muddy waters for sure because we there are um, we do do uh, requests for comments RFCs and they are mostly really really great and what so what ends up happening is it becomes a kind of hybrid between approach of like anyone can file an RFC of course a lot of us a lot of them are filed by us um, kind of ex- expressing you know, desire to hear back from the community about things that we're working on. So we'll kind of talk about things internally first and then post them publicly for the community, get feedback. And then we will, again, there's usually RFCs that fall into like, yes, we're going to do this for sure. No, we're not going to do this for sure. And then there's this gray area RFC where we're like, uh, there's stuff we like, there's stuff we're not sure about. And for that, we make this big spreadsheet. We all explain like what, where we're sitting with it, how we're viewing it. And then we kind of take it to a final step and then, um, you know, update comments on the RFC for final revision with the community as well. So it kind of goes back and forth between being an internal core decision and a community decision. It's not all or one, um, you know, all for the community or or all core team. Um, mainly, it's been really beneficial because it's it helps us to hear from people how things are being used. And if it also helps us to hear like, oh, like, we're, maybe we're going down the wrong path here, because people really did not like this. And we you can see this what what happened with the composition API, as it's now called, um, was we introduced this terrible word that should have been our drinking word, which is the D word, deprecation, (laughs) 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 which should just never, should be struck from the record. Nobody should ever use that term ever um, because people got really, really um, worried and upset and um, it ended up being like, many thousands of comments later, um, (laughs) we found out that that wasn't the right direction. That sounds like, it's a nightmare and it was, but um, the good thing about it is that it allowed us to hear from the community that that wasn't a good direction and that we shouldn't, uh, rather than us, it sounded like what we, what we heard from people was that they liked the concept of it, but the idea of forcing into a just one path was the part that people really got upset about. So now it's this kind of additive feature that's a more advanced feature that people can play around with and then possibly migrate to if they feel comfortable with, but the options API, which is what people are uh, more accustomed to and view is still around and kicking and that's still the way that we're doing things. So that sounds like it was a bad experience in some ways, but it was a good experience in that we didn't go into an area of the framework framework development just because the core team thought it was a good idea. We actually did listen to the community and back up. I, I like that, though. But at the end of the day, you definitely need someone to champion it, too, because like you're not going to be able to please everyone. And so I think that's where the core group needs to be like, this is the direction we're headed. We've taken everyone's feedback and we're trying to mitigate all risks, but you can't do everything. I like that you're avoiding the deprecation. <laughs> because like, I think that's like, honestly, especially that's a huge positive, especially when large companies are, anyone actually, uh, adopting a framework. 
is that when you're trying to upgrade in it or if you have to stop using something that has now been deprecated, that's a huge cost, like a massive cost. When you have a huge code base and you have to like go through and start to remove something that this is no longer the way to do it and you can't support this in, you know, whatever version, that's it's it's costly. I, I I've seen it happen many times at every company I've worked at when we're upgrading something, it's costly. I was going to make a joke. You didn't pull an Angular 2. <laughs> but that, yeah, no, that was probably not nice. I mean, Angular 1 to <laughs> Angular 2 was definitely a big one. <laughs> On the flip side, if you never deprecate anything, then over many years, you bring a new dev in and they look at something and they're like, do I write the component like that or like this other one or that one? And you start to get confusion about like the right pattern and the right way to do something. So that's like a consideration too. I think it's also like that to me is you got to have good communication on your team is like there's times when there's, we all have that. There's pieces in the code base where they're, they're just, they don't get touched a lot. And that's not a bad thing. It's just meaning is they, they do their function and we're not innovating. We're not doing anything on them. They'd be something that I would be like, yeah, when we have to touch them, maybe we should change it from whatever, the, whatever piece or function that's now deprecated maybe that's when we upgrade them but it's costly to say that we have to go upgrade that piece of code it's not it's we need that feature but it's not something that we need to like innovate on top of and so i I think it's more that's where your team needs to be strong at communication and saying like no this is the pattern we're going on new things that old stuff we'd like to touch at some point and clean up but it's still not a good answer, but I'm just saying this communication is important at that point. Also, something I would like to add to that is probably having documentation within the team. So if any new developer joins, it can he or she can easily just go back and go through the documentation and that way they can level up on what the code base looks like. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly communication of whatever it looks like documentation or speaking uh, yeah I, I i see it both ways um and this is something that i've talked to dan and sunil and a few other people on the framework that must not be named <laughs> it's react <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. i used to be a dev who worked with that framework and what i found was um on larger scale applications what ended up happening was different components were written in different styles and i could literally look at it and say like oh react.create class this was written four years ago this class extends this was written three years ago you know like i knew exactly when things were written at a certain time which doesn't sound like a bad thing what when it becomes a bad thing is if you have a junior developer that you're kind of onboarding and trying to get up to up to speed they then have to learn every single syntax in order to commit to the code base and that can be kind of challenging i i 100 agree i actually, i also kind of want to speak to this because a typical thing that junior developers will do or any developer will do is they'll google it they'll go to stack overflow they'll find an answer and they're going to see actually I, i've run into this many times where like how do how would i do some very common react thing and they might be using deprecated component life cycles now. Oh, cheers. 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 I did it. <laughs> so does Vue, Vue take a stance or like on being that backwards compatible for forever or is it sort of case by case? Yeah, I mean, we're we're our syntax has not deviated that much to be honest. Like it not at the level that other frameworks have 
bite for for sure. Um, so the options API has been pretty steady for this entire time. And also the view three, the changes that between view two and view, view three are mostly internal. Um, we rewrote it from scratch using proxies for the reactivity instead of getters and setters. And that's also what allows us to um, have it be more performant and have it be smaller. Um, and so, uh, and I have some explainers that show in an animated way, I can like, um, I'm, I'm in charge of doing the rea the new reactivity documentation. So I'm trying to do animated explainers for how that yes. works. That's <laughs> awesome. I, I think you're pretty good at animations. It makes a lot of sense. I love it. She's okay. Yeah, I mean, animation's really good for explaining things like reactivity because when you're showing things that change over time, animation just shows things a little bit more clearly than a static diagram. Um, so uh, I'll hook, I'll link up some of those in the show notes. But um, basically, the it's rewritten in TypeScript with proxies, but the Surface API hasn't changed. So uh, most of what you're working with on the top layer is the same. There are some small bits that we're changing with RFCs, so everything is well documented towards this migration path. And actually, I'm uh, working with the team to create this migration guide um, that really details all of those changes so that everything, you can see the differences. But in terms of different types of syntax for different things, this composition API is the first newer way that we're introducing in a very, very long time. It's mostly been like, here's the standard way of writing everything, except if you want to write like render functions and JSX versus templates, that's going to look a little bit different depending on your needs. But it's been fairly consistent. So we're introducing one new way instead of like this being the fourth or fifth or something. Well, you you mentioned proxies like every I've used them at only like development debugging stuff like that. Every like apocryphal story you ever hear about proxies like they're not performant That's so people don't use them. I was going to say that as well. Yeah, I was very sh very curious, but Yeah, I mean the uh with the newer version, I mean, so okay, what we're doing is we're creating a backwards compatible version of the library that is going to be using, uh, it kind of goes back to uh, if you have to support older versions of IE and things, but the newer version of proxies is much more performant. And so the the smaller bit, the, the way that view becomes smaller is by not supporting some of the old Microsoft browsers. Um, it's a good question. You can, we do have the view next uh, repo open if you're curious how the internals are actually working under the hood. But uh, some of the benchmarks are showing that it is quite performant. So Very cool. I, that is awesome. Remember uh, Ryan EmpireJS yep. on stage? They're like, what's the most exciting feature of JavaScript? And then think of the fifth most exciting thing. And it was proxies. Yeah. This is like no, four I, years I, ago. I still actually, cool. When you said that, I was like, oh, yes. I remember that talk. So, yes. But I, I can never use them in prod because people like don't understand like if they're not really clearly documented you can get some nasty cases with proxies because like it'll just catch things and people are like where's it going and you have to walk through it yeah i mean one thing if you're not careful i mean we thankfully we are we're making this uh but yeah if you are somebody who's just trying out proxies what it allows you to do is literally intercept the object creation right so you can actually make it so that 
properties are just not being assigned at all if you are intercepting it to do something and then you're not actually assigning those values yeah it just won't happen um so that that is kind of like danger zone and you do need to know what you're doing in order to use it for like normal application development and that's also why i you know i think that the animated explainers help because it helps people kind of visualize like oh all right this is literally being intercepted um because it's kind of a hard it's a weird concept for most people i think um, especially if you're coming from object.defined property, which works differently, you know. What else can we look forward to? Like we've talked about a lot of these things where, well, avoiding deprecation, great word to avoid. Uh, but what's what's the future? What are we looking forward to in Vue.js? Uh, okay. Um, so like Sarah already mentioned, we are looking forward to the release of Vue 3 next year. And one one of the features that I'm really excited about is called Fragments. So um, in React, we already have... <laughs> <laughs> cheers. cheers. You just love that word. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. Yeah, so um, in that framework, there is already we, there is already Fragments, but Vue 3 is going to introduce Fragments to with the new API. So basically what it means is, you know, with view you can only have um within the template you can just only have one enclosing div but with the new fragment you can have multiple nodes for your view api so that's something one of the features of the v3 api that i'm looking forward to yeah there's a couple of other things um the composition api of course is the biggest one and i won't go into too much detail there um, and, but maybe I'll link up some resources, uh, or I mean, I can if people are interested. Um, but the it's it's very similar to um, where it draws from hooks. Actually, I'll say a couple of things about it. One thing that's really nice, but previously React. Oh God! Yes. <laughs> that's a great keyword. What a fantastic <laughs> keyword! I had a long day, so this is fantastic. <laughs> so did I. And, and so, <laughs> Conferencing. <laughs> Every day is a long day. Yeah. Okay, so we we unlike other people had kept mixins. Um, I actually really enjoy mixins. I think that they're really lovely, especially the way that we're using them. You declare the mixin on the component that it's being imported to, so it's pretty clear, you know, that it's there, which tended to be a big anti-pattern um, statement about you know, why Mixins got de deprecated to begin with. What's nice about the composition API that Mixins didn't allow for is that you it makes it very clear what the return value is from the given component. So in the composition API, you can see clearly what's uh, being consumed. The other thing is that Mixins didn't allow for composition, so you couldn't, you know, for instance, pass one to another, and that is something that the composition API is allowing for. So as components get larger, sometimes you want to abstract abstract these small pieces of functionality that you know that you're going to reuse instead of having it all be one piece, which is kind of like a premise of functional programming, right? We write smaller and smaller functions so that we can reuse them throughout the application. So it keeps the logic decoupled in that way that you can uh, use things over um, over time and also uh, then encapsulate them now in in one another. So that's that's pretty great. Um, so that's one thing. One thing that I'm really excited about is um, 
abstractions tend to, this is different, um, abstractions tend to break down when you can't use them for something, right? Like uh, a big thing that happened with jQuery and those kind of things is that you would, you'd be like, oh, this is great, this is great. And then you hit a wall because you'd be like, oh, this doesn't cover my use case. And then you'd kind of just be screwed. <laughs> um, uh, so directives could be one of those things because it's an abstraction. Um, However, we allow you so many, you know, different ways of composing things. So custom directives are something that you can create. So I can create a custom directive that allows me to make my own directive out of any kind of piece of logic if I'm going to use it many times throughout an application. Uh, one example of this, if people are confused by what I mean, is I, I typically use the example of like tacking something to the page. Like let's say I have a, you know, a page that has pieces that need to be stuck in certain places uh, that are absolutely positioned or an animation is going to happen on scroll or something like that. Um, I could make a custom directive called VTAC instead of um, you know, re rewriting that logic again and again, and then I have access to that and I can pass arguments to it um, and, uh, and use values in that. So um, we have these custom directives. Previously, custom directives had their own hooks. So you, we have our, we have lifecycle methods, just like other frameworks. And uh, these custom directives had had these hooks that were completely separate and named differently, even though they did similar things when things were mounted to the DOM, when things were um, unmounted. And uh, so this new version of Vue solidifies that and brings those together. So it deprecates anything that's not one of those lifecycle methods and brings um, cohesion between our standard component lifecycle methods and those custom directive lifecycle methods. So it's one of those things where like, if you are new and you're browsing the docs, you're not gonna encounter this. But as someone who works with Vue quite heavily and work creates libraries that other people use because other, some, you know, custom directives are also something that you might wanna afford other developers if they install an NPM package. Um, wow, that makes it so much more simple because I used to have to, I wrote articles about it so that I could look it up. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, 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 I can just NPM install now. It's made life so much easier. Yeah. yeah. Before we get into picks, I'm interested as like, as a new, well, actually I am a new Vue.js engineer. What are some things that our listeners, if they're wanting to get into Vue, what, what would you recommend? How, how do they learn? How do they jump in? Okay, um, one advice I would like to give to um, new beginners trying to learn Vue is um, gradually, as you learn, try to build something as well. So m most people would tend to like learn using tutorials, articles, and then they just, they just download that and they don't actually um, try to build things. So one way you can solidify your knowledge of Vue is as you're learning, try to also build like a small project. And I feel like if you go through that route, it's easy for you to understand the concepts of Vue.js. So yeah, my advice is try to build something as you're learning Vue. Yeah. I love that advice. Honestly, like just being able to like build something, you learn so much. Even if it's like rebuilding something that already exists, it's so important just to like apply what you're learning. Yeah, that's the giant plus one for me. I, mean, <laughs> I think that that's a really, um, that's, that's really great advice for learning 
anything. In terms of learning Vue, um, Gift is actually a really talented technical documentarian. Um, and <laughs> well. you should definitely go check out all of her resources because she has tons of great stuff, um, including, you know, in terms of like meta frameworks like Vue, ViewPress, if you're working with Vue and you want to write your own documentation for something, ViewPress is awesome. Gift wrote a great beginning guide to that as well. So uh, go check out her stuff. Where can they find it? Okay, um, I have a website, a blog, and it's giftigwenu.com, basically my name. And yeah, I tend to write articles on front-end development, career guides, and a whole lot of other things as well. Okay, I just want to also give a quick shout out the the docs for Vue. I'm also a Vue view noob. Is it Vue or Vue? I assume it's Vue, but whatever you want to guess. <laughs> All right, we have been saying Vue the whole we time. We have been saying. <laughs> I, I didn't want to. Sarah and Gift incorrect us. So <laughs> yeah, actually, okay. When everyone was talking, sorry to tangent, but I had this realization: is Vue based on Evan Yu? Like it's, I just like it's like, not. I think it's based off of the view layer. That makes view more sense. That yeah. makes more sense. But but there's something there. Yeah, I was I was drinking and I was just like, oh my gosh, I just cracked this puzzle. I mean, <laughs> we chose a we chose a really good keyword that has definitely got you thinking. So yeah, I'm all for, for it. sure. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, uh, in all seriousness, I, I did want to give a huge shout out um, to the docs. Uh, I, I I'm personally very new. And I was reading the docs, and they were very, very clear, really easy to walk through. And they even link to resources um, everywhere, View Mastery, a um, bunch of different resources. So I think if people are new, just check that out. Like, they're incredible. So They are very well done. Big shout here. out to Sierra. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I'm not the only one working yeah. in them. Yes, so Sierra and other. But you're the one here, so we're going to do Also, Natalia and Chris Fritz and yes. Anfan and... Um, and I mean, he he goes by on, but he's also fun on on um, on GitHub and uh, Ben Hong. So all of those people also deserve. And Evan also, Evan's written a lot of the docs too. Right on. So at the end of each episode, we like to choose picks that are interesting, or we'd like to share with our listeners. I'm going to start with you, Sarah. What kind of picks do you have for our listeners? this episode yeah well since i'm not here talking about animation like i was last time my pick is animation based um green sock is a library that i'm super super into if you've seen my demos then they're all mostly on uh using green sock these days um green sock just came out with a new version of the library uh also a three version, like views coming out. <laughs> Some, something going three. on there. <laughs> um, it's also half the size um, and has a lot of really nice things like defaults, uh, which allow you to, to express some defaults per a, a timeline. So a lot of times if you're working for a big company, there's like a standard ease that you might need to use to keep things consistent. You can set that for the entire timeline now. Um, so the new version of gsap is super awesome and you should go check it out uh two music picks as always uh the first one Which is i'm gonna interrupt like the like everyone loves your music picks, so <laughs> yeah. i feel like you I have to get more more music <laughs> picks that's nice yeah. i'm glad people enjoy <laughs> i am enjoying your playlist it's a good coding playlist the, hopefully these are also good uh coding picks. Uh, the first one is uh, Yearning for the Infinite by Max Cooper. Uh, he just released that album. Um, 
it was commissioned by the Barbican. They wanted uh, like a new audio visual show built around emergent technologies theme that they had called Life Rewired. Um, and this quote I thought was really interesting. He said, um, I wanted to take the whole idea of human progress, growth in technology and the data explosion, et cetera, boil it down to its essence, our seemingly endless desire to move forwards somehow as individuals and as a species. So his stuff is like, yes, it's electronic music, but it also has so much behind it, which I find really fascinating. And I think I can kind of hear it um, in it. Um, so that album's really great. Check that out. Uh, the next one is a song called Immerse by Alex Banks. And he's actually on Max Cooper's label called Mesh. Um, so if you like Max Cooper stuff, you'll probably like Alex Banks' stuff. Right on. Thank you. Oh, shout out to that. Because uh, you shared that album the other day in our Slack. Great coding music. Like I've been coding Ooh. to it like all week. Awesome. It's, it's cool. a great coding album. Ooh. Augustus. Sure. So I have two picks. Um, so my first pick, uh, so relatively whenever Chrome Dev Summit was compared to when this uh, like podcast episode. Later. Yeah. Uh, basically, Chrome Dev Summit, uh, Adi Osmani had a really great talk and he open sourced uh, or under Google Chrome Labs, uh, React, a React Adaptive Oh, dang it. Wait, does that count? <laughs> oh, it does count. Oh, that's ish. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, all right. Cheers. cheers. Well, uh, Facebook adaptive hooks. Uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah, he came out with this uh, repo of a bunch of hooks that uh, really help with utilities for targeting low-end devices. I think one of the really, really cool ones is he has hooks that target very different things, like ones that save data. One that I thought was really interesting is he has ones that target how many CPU cores an, a device has. And I think it's just really cool. Definitely worth checking out along with the talk. Um, my second pick uh, is kind of random, but at Trader Joe's, there's a ravioli section. The, <laughs> I'm intrigued. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, you, you wait till you hear it. Uh, the cauliflower ravioli. Like, there's a lot of other ones. There's lobster and lot, lots of ones you think those are all traps. The real prize <laughs> is the cauliflower ravioli. I'm a fan which of the lobster. Which is crazy. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's good. Actually, they're all good, but the cauliflower. Wow, they they do something to that. I I'm like shocked at. I like, <laughs> like, like, like. Honestly, I, I have like a list of picks, and I was like, I don't think anything beats this one. So I, I chose this. We're all going to Trader Joe's after this, and we're yeah, trying. So. Trader Joe's is a discount grocery store. Oh based yes, on, very. They're on all coasts. They're yeah. Their sister store is Aldi. Right? Really? Is it Aldi? Mm-hmm. Fascinating. What? It's actually it started by two brothers, and like one brother started Trader Joe's, one started Aldi, and they're like the same concept but very different executions. That's a different. Is episode. the Aldi cool. brother like like the family black sheep kind of thing? Like not. <laughs> I don't. I heard an entire podcast on this before. Uh, Freakonomics did a really fascinating uh, episode on Trader Joe's. That check out. That's a part of a someone's pick. Here is go listen to that episode. Right. Yeah. All right, Jim, what do you got for us? Shout out Trader Joe's. The first one is, I think you all know from people that that just met me, there's nothing I love more than a good rant. But you know what I love more than a good rant? A good rant with action. So there's this dude. Uh, his name is uh, Eric Bernhardson. And he was sitting at work and he was like, why are the buffet lines so long? This this makes absolutely no sense. We we have some of the smartest people in the world. We can't solve a buffet line. So what he did was he created the simulation for buffet lines, trying to optimize 
the <laughs> trying to create the optimal buffet line so that everybody can get the food and it moves quickly. It's a great great site. It's linked to it in the show notes. Um, but he has all these methods, and they're all they're all animated and everything oh. too. I'm showing everybody in the room the. Ooh. But he has animations for different ways of getting it. through the buffet and which one's optimal. It's just great because <laughs> like he was angry about something, but he decided to do something. His I, next... I mean, I love that. It's like literally like something. There's a problem there. Instead of bitching about it, I'm gonna try and solve it. Wow, wow. wow. Mojis. And oh, that avocado I mean, line it's, it's is really sold on popular. Popular. Oh, geez. <laughs> This person is better than me because they go on rants and then do something about it. I just go on rants and do nothing. Just take that anger and hold it in. You too could be an emoji animator. But I'm so lazy, Sarah. I'm so lazy. <laughs> Sarah can motivate you. That's true. Woo-hoo. That's actually technically my job, I think, is the emoji animator. Uh, motivating speech Oh God! <laughs> Emoji I'm already motivated, Sarah. <laughs> motivated. Uh, my next pick is a show pick. It's called Happen Leonard. It is a wait here. Uh, Sundance TV original. Yes, that's a real channel. They have originals. <laughs> However, the show is fantastic. It's about uh, two middle-aged men in Texas in the '80s and kind of the adventures they have. I, I really don't do the show justice. It's worth watching. Every season's like six or seven episodes. There's only three seasons so far, but the show's fantastic. Uh, great actors in it. Gif, what do you have for us? So I have two picks, and the first one was I had like a very amazing experience at Orlando recently. I was on the Harry Potter and Escape from Gringotts ride, and cool thing is we are also in a Harry Potter themed room. Yeah. On Twitch, which is really cool. Yeah, so <laughs> that was really amazing. And if anyone is in Orlando, you should try out that ride. And then my second pick is a music playlist, which I created for coding. It's actually Nigerian music. And I'm, yeah, I'm very sure everybody will It's really it. good. Sarah already has access to it, and I'll be sharing that in the show notes. Also, it's a, it's a YouTube channel. Uh, playlist and the videos are really good too so definitely don't just listen also watch them right on all right i have two picks they're not really relevant to our topic today which is fine very creative picks actually i don't know how many people are familiar with mike giant i'm a huge fan of his artwork comes from graffiti he's done tattoos he's he's great he also lived in san francisco for a long time mike giant has a podcast and i listen to all i binge listen to all their episodes Mm -hmm. and uh, he sits down with other artists and talks about their art and i think it's really really great there might be some weed involved as they they're talking (laughs) similar to our podcast we're drinking on episodes i think it's a really good podcast where they're really talking about the creative process and i think it's really really interesting and then along that lines uh on the creative side um i've been using a Tombow dual brush pens. I've been really enjoying using them for just drawing. My son likes to paint and stuff like that. So I'm drawing him different things that he asked me to draw. And I found these things very, very useful. So that's my final pick. Before we end the episode, I want to thank Sarah and Gift for joining us. It was a pleasure having both of you join us. Where can people get in touch with you? Okay, I'm um, on Twitter. It's Laura Gift 21 
And also I have like a personal blog. It's giftsigwenu.com. Yeah, thank you for having me again. Um it was it's been Ooh. such a pleasure. I am at sarah.dev online. Um you can find my awesome coworkers and all of the great work that they do at netlify.com. Um Netlify is a company that I work for because I really like what they do like i asked them if i could work for them so you should definitely go check out um their services uh it's an easy way of deploying sites online and then also um uh css tricks if you go to my author page there's just like a ton of stuff there thank you all for listening to today's episode we'd love to hear from you give us feedback love to hear from you and like different whatever you like to give feedback on whether it's like iTunes or Google Play. Let us know how the show's going. And you can also follow us on Twitter at FrontendHH. Any last words? I love React. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Just> stop it. <laughs> <laughs>